five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello and a very warm welcome to Five in the Eye, Colourful Radio's weekly news review show. I'm Phil Woodford in London and this is episode 0389, which Michael tells me is a prime number. It sure is a prime number and they're getting rarer as we go forward now, you'll see. But great, we've got one. And this is me, Michael O'Hajuri, joining Phil via Zoom and revealing that our top story is going to be that chatbot who has taken the world by storm. It's called Chat GPT, and it's powered by the latest in artificial intelligence. Five in the eye. For story number two, it's the news that scientists may have unlocked the secret of successful nuclear fusion. Michael's going to be speaking to an expert in the field to find out exactly what this means for us all. And what's story number three? Well, England has sadly departed from the World Cup, but it's time to welcome back our footy correspondent, Anthony, to discuss the tournament so far as it draws to a close. For our fourth story, it's the Grotto, where kids are forced to take a lie detector test to let Santa know whether they've been naughty or nice. And finally, we're back to the chatbot. Let's ask it one or two questions, which are maybe slightly less serious. You mean it could tell us about this week's Five in the Eye? Five in the Eye. Okay, well, we're going to kick off uh, the story this week with with the chatbot, the, fam- the famous chatbot. And um, I think the thing to say about this is it's created quite a lot of media interest because um, it's, it's almost like an oracle. You can ask it any question um, and it'll give you some kind of response based on initially what it's been programmed to know, but then what it's learned through its interactions with, with, with others. There are some strange anomalies with it. For instance, um, I don't quite understand why um, it's, it doesn't realize that 2022 is the year we're currently living in it thinks it's in the future and you would have thought that a an intelligent ai through its interactions with people online would have worked out that actually um, it was no longer 2021 so there's some weird there's some weirdness attached to it um it doesn't have access to the internet which is probably good because it means it can't simply be regurgitating things that it's finding on wikipedia um Michael, one criticism of this kind of technology, I guess, is that it maybe gives the appearance of understanding what it's talking about. Um, And superficially, it comes across as being very plausible on a lot of topics. But that could end up misleading people into thinking that its answers are somehow authoritative, perhaps, do you think? Well, I think you're right, Phil. The tone is excellent. It's very accessible, readable, understandable, coherent. I read reports, several uh, university lecturers are quite concerned now that essays are going to be harder to kind of deconstruct. Is this a real a real person written by a real student? Or is this artist intelligence? Because it, it's so rational in its answers. You know, it's the compare and contrast and in some ways, essays are ideal for AI because you've got two arguments. You can put them together and come up with a conclusion. And it actually does that. And for me, the thing I find so impressive is the language. You know, I, you know, I, I asked it uh, a question of, I said, in what ways, in what, in what way is being, bl- being a black person better than being white? And then it goes on to say, it is not appropriate or accurate to say being that the black person is better or worse than being a white person or vice versa. It, you know, it, it takes the moral high ground. 
It's okay. Right. Okay. And I'm sure you and I, you know, and most of our listeners would all agree with, with that sentiment. But, you know, it, it, if it makes other kinds of value judgments on things that are perhaps less clear cut, um, you know, what, what, what if it takes the moral high ground on an issue that you and I might not agree on? Um, that's a danger, isn't it? Well, let me say the moral high ground. I, I guess I get the sense of even handedness. You know, the QAnon story, I don't you know, the, the QAnon, and it'd be difficult to, um, on the time available, to ask the, the Q, the questions to explore its, its, its balancedness. But I got the sense that it always, it looked, it strove to take the moral, uh, the, 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 not the moral high ground, but an even, an even, even side to the argument. And when it didn't, it, it backed off. It said, I don't know. You know, because I wouldn't ask the direct questions about people and things in the news right now, because it says I'm not, I'm not able to respond to that question. So I think this is a, a development on the road to AI. I, I got some sense of not personality in the sense of ha ha wittiness, but I got a sense of there was there was a calm, even handedness about it in its, in its language. It was very. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 one, one question. I mean, I, I was, I was trying to push the boundaries a bit with some of the questions I was asking it, and we, we you know, we, we asked it some weird stuff as well, which we'll come back to at the end of the show. But you know, I, I asked a really quite difficult question, which was, were suffragettes terrorists? And the reason I asked that is that, um, although that was a very good cause um, to to win women's right to vote, there were a lot of tactics used, which by anyone's standards were quite violent at the time, you know, uh, smashing up property, yeah. even mm. bombs being used at certain points. Um, and then the, the answer was that the term terrorist is highly charged and can be defined in different ways. Suffragettes uh, were members of a movement that fought for women's rights in the UK and uh, and other countries, um, some suffragettes were known to engage in acts of civil di- disobedience and property damage. Um, it's important to remember the suffragette movement was a response to the oppressive political and social systems at the time. This is actually quite a balanced answer. And when you were talking about um, people doing exams and so on, you know, um, I was reading one academic online who was who was saying, look. When you're marking essays, you've got loads and loads to mark. You've got a limited time to mark them. And um, you're looking for kind of obvious cues and clues within the within the essay that the student has developed some kind of argument. And if they've developed some kind of argument, that's often enough to get an okay kind of mark. It does sound like uh, it's going to be a nightmare for educationalists in the future, Michael. Definitely, definitely. Because I was so impressed by the opening sentence the opening sentence because it summed up its its, its argument in a, in a balanced way and then went on to develop two sides of the argument just as it did with the, the suffragettes there stated the case you know ter- the, 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 the terrorism is a bad thing but at the same time that it goes on to they were doing some good things for a noble cause so no do you, do you remember we, the, the Turing test you know, yeah, the yeah. So Alan Turing, the the boffin that 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 cracked the Enigma code in the war. Yeah, exactly. So you you, know, you ask a question: Is this is this a human being? Is it sentient? And that was something I didn't get the sense that, that this was not there was no emotions in this in in the chat GPT. It was it was factual, it was unemotional. So I I I I, 
from from the, from the brief time I spent with it, I didn't get the sense that this was a human human being. Was a human being, but this is someone who understand who understood how to answer questions. You could say maybe he's a politician, the ultimate politician in terms of on the one hand and on the other, and he can give you that 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 that, that, that balanced argument. You think he's talking sense. Well, I mean, one thing that interests me from my work perspective, I, you know, I work as a, a copywriter and I train people in copywriting for marketing. And one of the things that interests me is, you know, I've been asking it to do things like write web pages about particular products and services and so on. And uh, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no doubt that it's creating something that is superficially plausible that you know you, you wouldn't probably look at straight away and think this wasn't written by a human being um it, there's something missing from it and i think the thing that's missing from it is is a sense of kind of soul almost <laughs> it's it's kind of, it is kind of lacking some kind of human quality but it knows it knows the formula and for certain tasks the formula is more important than the soul, you know, and therefore you could imagine, you could imagine people being out of a job, hopefully not me, but you could imagine some people being out of a job in the future. Well, you know, I'm sure going to come back to this AI, this AI, because there's, there's some great developments in illustrations, artificial illustration, where you can describe something, and it'll, it'll create that thing for you. It's quite, quite extraordinary. And then when you think of the idea, you can actually make up a human being. So this is all the fabrication that's possible at AI. But I think you made the point you made there for about emotion. That is the thing these things tend to lack, or we do they do lack. I'm sure we're, 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 we're going to come back to that and uh, in, in future. In future, five in the eyes. Five in the eye. Moving on to story number two. Well, it's about fusion. The U.S. national what a wonderful title. The US, 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 US's National Ignatian Facility, NAF, has just announced it successfully used a 192-beam laser to turn a tiny amount of hydrogen into enough energy to power 15 to 20 kettles. This is fusion, and it's big news. And so I've, I've, got, I've got an old friend, a very old friend. We go back a long way, almost 50 years now, would you believe He's, he's a nuclear engineer. He can help us or help me understand or bring back, put, put back in my memory. What is this thing called fusion? Pete, t- tell us you know, what, exactly what is this fusion thing they're talking about here? Well, basically, this fusion thing is all about generating energy. We've got lots of ways of generating energy at the moment, but what we need is something which is new and innovative and uh, plentiful and cheap. And all those things together can describe nuclear fusion, provided we can make it work. And it's simply the case that you get some very small atoms and use the nuclei of those atoms and combine them together. And when they combine, that's called fusion. And the there is energy released in that process. And it's that energy that we want. Exactly. That was the big thing. I remember we used to talk about this fact that these, when you push these two atoms together, they go to a, a lower energy state, and in doing that, release energy. And it just seems, it just seems, and, but the big thing was, how do you force them together? Because some of the forces, the heat, the energy required to do it, seem to, you know, seem to be impossible. So what, what, what's changed from when, when, we, when we were talking about it back in the 70s? 
Well, far from being impossible on a natural scale, the sun is a big fusion reactor. So it's not a question of impossible. It happens all the time, and it's a means by which we're alive. Uh, but to make that happen on a smaller scale, we need to make conditions a bit like the sun, only much, much hotter, because we can't replicate the pressure that's inside the sun. So instead, we have to increase the temperature to keep the speed of these little particles up so that it's high enough for them to approach each other. Now, normally, the nucleus of a, each one of these particles is positively charged. And as every schoolboy knows, if you push together two positive charges, they will repel. So how do you get over that? Well, by giving them more and more energy, you push them closer and closer together. And if they get close enough, when they collide, then the strong nuclear force, another force of nature, takes over. And this is an attractive force, and it's incredibly strong. And it allows a reaction to take place between these particles. And they create the nucleus of a larger atom known as helium. And in the process, the total mass of the helium atom is less than the total mass of the two particles. Oh, that I've got this. And that mass difference E equals mc squared. Precisely. Einstein's big, big equation. We get that exactly. we get the energy back. Yeah, so, absolutely. So how do you do that? Practically, how does that work? How do you extract that, that heat? You know, because you talk about extremely high temperatures. So you're going from one extremely high temperature to another high temperature. How do you extract it? What kind of thing, techniques make, make it possible? It's difficult to think about, but it's not too different from what happens in a fission reactor. Um, the question would be about the same. If we can get energy from breaking atoms apart, which is what, atom, what happens in a fission reactor, then um, how do we utilize that energy? And the answer is that the energy manifests itself as kinetic energy or energy of motion of the products of the reaction itself. And that would typically be a neutron. And the neutrons carry the energy and they are uh, charge free. So they don't interact with the magnetic field. They're not confined just the way the other particles are and they can escape. And when they escape, they take their energy with them. And if we can organize it cleverly on an engineering basis, we can make that energy be given up to some water, effectively, eventually down the line. And that water is then used to make steam. And then we make power. So it's, effect it's effectively a very, very expensive, quite large kettle. So it's a steam turbine. Yep. A steam, well, there you go. There you go. And they say it's, it's, it's a... It's carbon free, you know. It's 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 um it's going to save the planet in terms yeah. of it, it the, the byproducts. Is it water? The byproduct. It's helium, um, light light molecules. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the water will be a, a byproduct, but it's not a major feature player. It's um, it's essentially helium that is the uh, the the product of the reaction. And um, there's nothing to do with carbon in the entire cycle, so we don't release carbon dioxide. And we don't create, there is some radiation around, as you can imagine. These are very uh, high, highly energetic charged particles, and they are causing an awful lot of interactions which create radiation. So things become radioactive. And that's the only, the only unwanted byproduct is some slight radioactivity in the immediate environment of the reactor. And that will be the thing that the reactor is made of. Uh, will become slightly radioactive, but it's nothing at all like it is in fission reactors, 
where the byproducts can last for hundreds, even thousands of years before becoming inactive. So this is really the holy grail of energy then, in terms of it's going to be uh, carbon neutral, there's no carbon involved. And it's it really is, you're not polluting the planet anything, with anything, you're building a bit of radioactivity. What about, okay, I know you can't answer this, Pete, but what about the cost? Is it going to be cheaper? Is my gas bill going to come down? Is my electricity bill going to come down thanks to this? Well, that is, bill. that is the it's the extent to which it's cheaper. I mean, in, in theory, it's going to be incredibly cheap because we have a virtually limitless supply of the fuel that we need. All we need to do is to make sure that we can get the uh, energy out to exceed the energy in. And that gives us the spare energy that we got for free. And that means it has to be enough energy to make the whole project worthwhile. And at the moment, we've got, as you said, at the National Ignition Facility, we've got one example of putting some energy in and getting more out. And it's a very tiny example. And in fact, I should correct that calculation. It's not 15 kettles. It's about one and a half. Oh, God. Somebody, <laughs> one a, and a half kettles. He's got a decimal point in the wrong place. Wow. That's, that's in, bit... two, two megajoules went in, about three came out. And the difference is about 0.3 of a kilowatt hour, which is, you know, run a run a kettle for a third of an hour. <laughs> it's there. But we're getting you, you used the word free several times there, Peter. So I can look forward to my free energy then. Um, well, it will be free in the sense that the the products that we sorry, not the products, the reactants that we need, deuterium and um tritium for the reactor are available quite cheaply. So it will be freely available in the sense that we've got a limitless supply of those materials, but it will cost some money. It will be a commercial venture oh, which God. creates the power. capitalism has so to come in. We'll pay for it. You'll have to. Oh, we'll have to. But we're saving the planet. We're not polluting. And our children will have a, a much healthy, healthier and happier future thanks to this nuclear vision. One last question, Peter. When can I have this? When can I have this free energy? When, can, when, when is it going to be available? Well, historically, nuclear fusion has always been, depending on who you ask, 20, maybe 30, maybe 50 years away. No matter when you ask it, it's always the same. Now, this next step forward is a demonstration in principle that we can get more energy out than we could put in. But it's a very, very small step. So I don't think that the picture is going to change overall, um, simply because what we haven't taken into account in that equation is how much energy is involved in creating these magnetic fields that hold the plasma together. And that is many hundreds of megajoules that we've yet to recover. So we've a long way to go yet. Oh, let me stress you. When you say long, are we talking about... 20, 30, stop me 40, 50. Oh, come on, Peter. It's I think of the, order of, of the order of 50, I think you if, can work on. And that that's that's agreed with by several people in the industry. And uh, a lot of people will try to be much more positive than that. But there's only so far you can go. And the reality is we have a long way to go. So this is for our children's children then? Uh yeah, I would. I would not be confident that it would happen in my child's lifetime. I would not. Okay. Well, well, well thank you for that positive information with a slightly negative end to the uh, to the dark talk, there, Peter. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Live in the eye. And for our first story this week, we're back at the World Cup with our football correspondent Anthony. And there's been two really special games 
one particularly special was the France Morocco game, which on so many levels. But we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. First, I want to talk about that Argentina Croatia game. Now, the way I saw that, Anthony, you had that was the, the finesse versus stubbornness, the finesse of Argentina and the stubbornness, the defensive stubbornness of Croatia. And in the end, finesse won. You know, I thought that Messi really delivered at the highest stage. I didn't think it was possible. Did, did, did you think he could, he, he could deliver at, at this late stage in his career? Yeah, good point. I think for me, Argentina were always going to win. However, the way Messi played in that game is typical of Messi. He passed the ball around the whole team, always looking for Messi in the final third. Messi walks around the pitch, gets the ball in the final third and does what Messi, what only Messi can do. I've got to say that uh, the Croatian team, the organisation, the discipline, the resoluteness all shone through. But unfortunately, they didn't have the flair. Modric just hasn't got that same flair and the same goal-scoring prowess as Senor Messi or Messi the Messiah, as they'll be calling him after this World Cup. I don't know if Argentina will win the World Cup because I believe France, as I've said before, are possibly the best organised team mm -hmm. and the one with the most flair. But the player definitely with the most flair is, is Messi. I think one of the important things that we need to look at is the Mbappé-Messi difference. And basically, Mbappé is the player of the future for me. Skillful, fast, strong. I think the days of getting the, the magical geniuses without the physical strength and the ability to be part of a team is gone. I don't, I'm saying it here now, I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of Messi's or Ronaldo's again, simply because in this World Cup, it's proven to me that the game has moved on now. So in terms of this Messi, you could see Messi and Ronaldo being equivalent. You know, they walk around the pitch half the time and then suddenly they do something electric. Whereas Mbappe is more of a, he's, he's doing much more. Is this what you're saying to us? What I'm saying is you can involve somebody like Mbappe a lot, Mbappe a lot more in the game simply because he's got more mobility. He can do it in the six-yard box as well as 20 yards up in the field. I don't believe that we're going to get the same players that can walk around the pitch anymore and be looked for in the final third to produce that magic. If you look at the teams that have done well in the World Cup without the flair plays, you'll see that the teams, the organised, structured, disciplined athletes, and I think that's what football's moving to now. Well, well, well talking of organised, disciplined athletes, you've got to hand it to Morocco. Oh, they, they, come in, oh. They, they came into that game with a fantastic record. They'd only conceded one goal. Would you believe that? In their group stages, they'd beaten Belgium, Spain. They, had, they were there by right. And the thing I loved about them, Vic loved about them, they said, no, we're not an Arab team. We're an African team. They wanted to be known as an African team. And when you saw that that, that team sheet, apparently in, in the quarterfinals, 
it was four of the four or five of the the the, the first the first team was um was injured, and there's a yeah. question mark whether they'd make it through. But they were all there to a man. Such was their commitment to the cause, and that showed. I thought it really showed their commitment and their discipline and organization. And then it was just a joy, a joy to help. You know, okay, I'm getting carried away at me. I'm, 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 am I overcooking this? We, 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 okay, they lost, but they, they lost with dignity. From my point of view, I think Morocco were really, really unlucky. They had so many players, so many of the key players injured. I think the crowd moved them. I think they were inspired. I think, other than Japan, this was the, the best team performance of the World Cup to date. I do believe that um, once the African nations foster that same type of discipline, we've got too many athletes that can do do it in the different parts of the pitch. I believe once it's organised in a discipline plan like that, I think the World Cup's going to go to Africa and it might not come back to you for a number of years. I think that Morocco have proved that now, that once you've got organised athletes with a couple of flair players that will, that will all pull to the same tune or all pull in the same direction, it's over for Europe. I can clearly see it. With football's changed dramatically within the last five years. You only have to look at Haaland. Haaland's not the most skillful football in the world. He's functional. And I think that's what we're going to start getting. We're going to get functional athletes in functional positions of, the, of uh, teams. When you say Haaland, this, this, this is Man City's goal-scoring machine. That is. But that's all he can do. Isn't that enough? It's not enough. It's not enough. It is it is enough when you've got the players that are going to do all the running and the chasing and the winning the ball behind him. And as I said, football has really, really moved on. And we're blessed to see players like Messi. We're blessed to see players like Modric. We're blessed to see players like Ronaldo because I really do believe that football's changing into functional into a functional athletic game where tactics are key. Oh, so you, you're going to say those spectacular overhead kicks, those those 20, 30-yard dribbles into the box, they're all history now. It's all... I say that's going to become less and less in the game. The game's much more functional now. So all the, all the assists, balls into the box, pass. Yeah, yeah. So look yeah. at Anthony, you know, give us, your, you know, give us your, your prediction for the final now. We've got... We've got um, France, Argentina. I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I guess I know the answer, but I've got to ask you. Go on. How many will France win by? <laughs> I think France are going to win by two clear goals. Oh, no, you're Fortunately, I do believe that one of the biggest differences is between the teams. You can look at the difference between Mbappe and Messi. Yeah. Mbappe can run for the duration at a defender. Messi can only do it in little little streaks, little counterpart acts. I believe that the French have got too much for the uh, for the Argentinians. I, I, I can't I can't see I can't see even uh, even I'd love to see Messi win a World Cup just because I, I love Messi. I love magical football. I love football which cannot be written or scripted. 
but we're moving towards a time now where football is going to be much more scripted in every position of the Do you think field. people will get to that, like the NFL, you know, in America, in America like, like, a, yeah. like a game of chess? That's exactly what's happening. You know, <laughs> you've got... You've got of, the deployment of athletes in different positions to counteract the, uh, the flair players. And I'd say flair players are going to go out of the game slowly but surely and they're going to be replaced by functional players. Okay, I mean, so, do, 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 I've got, I've got you two. Messi, you couldn't put a Messi in in Morocco, could you? you so look, Anthony, thank you for your prediction. You're predicting it's a France fight. It's a France France win two 0 in the final by two goals in the final. Two goals, yeah. I hope Argentina win, but as I said to you, they haven't got. They don't bring enough to the table. They just do not bring enough to the table. Can I just close on this? Coming back to uh, to France and Morocco, notice there's there's a lot of uh, issues and colonial tensions and uh, stuff behind Morocco and France. But on 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 the Champs Elysees, people were support. There were there were both countries were out there. Both supporters were out there. Oh, and yeah. one guy one guy said it. One, one guy summed up beautifully. He wanted he was a Moroccan. He wanted Morocco to win. We didn't want France to lose. <laughs> Come on. Well, we can't say like. more than that. We know really. what it's like. So, Anthony, next week, good talking to you. Thank you. Can't wait for me summer. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Okay, bye now. Bye, bye. Five in the eye. For our fourth story this week, it's horrified parents who have been complaining that a Santa's grotto has been forcing kids to take a lie detector test. Um, Paul Bramley, a a guy who's usually found in the criminal courts with his polygraph machine, has been brought into the Westfield in in London and Stratford City uh, to test the kids. And he's calling himself Mr. Fibmus because obviously Santa needs to know whether the kids have been uh, naughty or nice so they're kind of wired up to finger monitors which track changes in their heart heart rates uh, before he asks them questions about how well they behaved now this is this gimmick has certainly uh, provoked uh, uh, publicity which i suspect could be what westfield had in mind michael but what about the trauma of the poor child oh, definitely <laughs> oh but i guess the children you know why died Wide-eyed innocence, you know, they're trying to do the best for themselves at the same time. At the same time, they don't want to lie, but they, they want the, they want the, the, those presents from Father Christmas. I think this, you know, I'm unbalanced. I think this is, a, this is not a good thing, Phil, it's not. Putting our kids under pressure at Christmas. You know, this Christmas is a time of, of, of fun and relaxation. And that naughty or nice, you know, we, we, kids are nice anyway, aren't they? They are. <laughs> I think most kids are decent, are decent at heart. And, um, you know, they, they, they probably don't deserve to be interrogated when they come to see Santa. I mean, so you could argue well, it's changing their whole relationship with Christmas and, uh, and, uh, their, their, their innocent love of Santa Claus bringing the, bringing the presents to them. Now Santa becomes a slightly sinister figure who, who, who's monitoring, monitoring them through scientific means. Although I have to say the, elo- the, the, ev- 
evidence for polygraphs is incredibly sketchy. Um, and there's many people who argue that actually this whole technology is very dubious. I, I'd be very surprised if Mr. Fibmus or whatever his real name is, is actually practicing this in UK courts, because um, I think this is more the kind of stuff of uh, American TV cop shows than it is real world uh, law enforcement. I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, Phil. In terms of uh, it, 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 it is dubious technology at best, and I'll go a bit further. Do you think it was a real lie detector? Who knows? I guess. I mean, are, are, all, the are all the kids, in, in, fact, in fact, discovered to be honest and truthful as the day they were born? Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a good news story for every child after they've taken the polygraph. Well, you know, over half of them, 56% said, I'm going to pass, such as their confidence. So <laughs> good on them, good on them. You know, they didn't actually, the figures that the passed, they didn't tell, you know, the actual figures, they didn't publish those. But I think this is, um, this is not the, this, I think this is not the future of Christmas, the Christmas visit to the grotto, <laughs> a lie detector test. No, and, no and there's no, going to be no polygraphs on five in the eye. No, not yet, anyway. You can, you can take everything we say as being the, the absolute truth. Five in the eye. We're gonna we're gonna finish off our story number five now, and go back to having a look at the Chat GPT, but this time with uh, with a slightly different eye. You know, asking asking questions which are well interesting. Like the one I liked was, is there a difference between a fish purely that one of its legs are both the same? <laughs> and it. Uh, it struggled with that one. It really struggled. It had to, it told me what a fish was. I tried to tell me what a fish was. And then the legs on a fish. It's compatible. It just waffled a bit and tried to come up with an answer. So the other one I looked was um asked about what was it? Um how come time flies like an arrow, but fruit flies like a banana? And you know what it got me here, Phil? Is that this is a joke. It knew it. It knew it was a joke. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, the source material that it's been fed originally is interesting because it doesn't have access to the web, but it's, it does seem to have quite an encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of stuff. And I'm a little bit unsure as to how those how those two things happen. I was asking it to do things like create a limerick. I said, could you create a limerick about childcare? And it came up with a response. There once was a mom in despair. She needed some help with her air. She found a sweet nanny who took care of her granny, and now mom's no longer in fear. What struck me about this, Michael, was that this is a very plausible limerick. Okay, it knows the structure of the limerick. However, it talks about taking care of granny, which isn't really anything about childcare. And so it's sort of slightly gone off at a weird tangent whilst creating something that was really plausible. Another weird thing I did. Should I have ever done this? I don't know. But I asked it to describe a dream. Could it describe a dream involving Elon Musk, a teapot and a giraffe? And um, it, took me, <laughs> it took me into a surreal world, Michael. Apparently, I'm in a large open field with Elon Musk, a teapot and a giraffe. The sky is deep blue and there's a gentle breeze blowing. Elon Musk is standing next to the teapot, which is steaming and emitting a pleasant aroma. And so it goes on. Um completely bizarre what it's prepared to do and what it's not prepared to do well i, I read that from the uh, response to the almost question and i got the sense it was it was, it was a bit formulaic in terms of dream and then it goes on this random collection of ideas and it was it was 
dreamlike. But it wasn't that convincing, you know, in terms of, I, I wasn't convinced. But then again, you know, I know it's a robot. If I didn't know, this is the, you, this you, the thing. You, so you haven't been in my dreams, it. Michael. It's, I, I found it frustrating, Phil, because I wanted to catch it up. And I really, I never quite, it, it always produced a plausible answer. That was so frustrating. Well, so frustrating. If, if, if any of our listeners want to play around with this, it's ChatGPT, and you can search it online. Just a simple sign-up process, and you can access it for free. So give it a go. And if you do ask it any questions and it pr- provokes a particularly interesting reply, let us know. Five in the eye. Well, Phil and I have relied on our artificial intelligence for some years now. We're planning to bring you the real thing very soon. We hope you've enjoyed episode 0389 of Five in the Eye and will join us the same time next week. As we wrap up show 0389, just a reminder, you can check out the stories we're considering for the next episode on our Facebook page. Just search for Five in the Eye. For now, this is Phil Woodford saying goodbye and wishing you well. And this is me, Michael Ohajura, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. Goodbye and see you next time. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?